When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Until Saturday. This is the Sunday Sound Off edition. I am Ari Wasserman, joined by my esteemed colleague, Dave Ubbin. And I think we've got a lot to talk about today. And we have some really exciting and funny and maybe enraging voicemails that we're going to get through. Are you enraged? Yeah, I know. I'm going to be cool. I'm going to keep it it together. Uh, I thought that, you know, with 24 hours since the final game ends, besides the fact that... uh, Jed Fish didn't go for two in the first overtime, which screwed my under. Uh, you know, I've <laughs> I've actually come away from last the last set of games here as thinking that it might have been the most revelatory Saturday that we've had so far this year. Uh, yeah. Is that is that fair? Well, you had a lot of teams being tested, sort of. Right? We haven't Oklahoma as a team hadn't played a, hadn't really played a team with a pulse just yet. You had Alabama going on the road and playing a Texas A&M team that people were starting to kind of believe in a little bit. Uh, you had Georgia facing its toughest test. Um, and and Kentucky, how real is Kentucky? And all of those things. Um, so I think you, you had these big uh, opponents or big, big programs um, facing tough tests yesterday. And it's not like it's a rivalry game or, you know, a, or a huge matchups in most cases, Red River aside. But we did learn a lot about teams that we would call national championship contenders. And I think we, the season's always a bit of a mosaic and you're kind of have your nose pressed up against the glass. And I feel like each week you get higher and higher. You are. That's a little artsy. (laughs) You look, you move further back from the broken glass. And I think we got, we moved pretty far back. I think we have a a good picture um, of what's going on. So one thing I wanted to say before I did the proper intro and we got directly into the voicemails um, was that we had a segment on the Saturday reaction show evening of uh, Dave and I both giving a list of our top five uh, teams with the most disappointed or mad or sad fan bases. Mm-hmm. And we have written that into a 10 team column that will be running on Monday morning. But there is one team in there that we didn't have a chance to add because the game was still going on as we were doing that segment live. And, and I wanted to and I, I wanted to spoil it just a little bit. So yeah. we will be releasing this this list tomorrow, the 10 teams with the most sad fan bases. And one got an honorable mention, and that is 6-0 and USC. And I think mm-hmm. it's important, since we didn't talk about USC last night, that I'm just going to read my excerpt from this specific team. It's not one of the 10 dishonorable mention. So USC is 6-0. and So what do the Trojan fans have to be upset about? Well, they know the bear is coming for them. You may feel a little sense of comfort in the fact that USC is undefeated, but after barely skirting by Arizona in triple overtime late Saturday night in a Pac-12 after dark action, it is clearly yet 
again that this it is clear yet again that this Trojans team just doesn't play defense. Heck, if Jed Fish would have gone for it at the end of the first overtime, there was a legit chance that Arizona could have won the football game. Go look at the back half at USC schedule. Five of its last six games in the regular season are against opponents who came into this past weekend ranked Notre Dame, Utah, Washington, Oregon, UCLA, and teams of that nature are now waiting in the wings. And they are salivating watching Alex Grinch's defense give a big play after big play. Dave, the one that kind of just made my jaw drop was after USC scored in the first overtime period, Arizona tied it on the first play of their possession. 25-yard strike. And, and listen, Jacob Cowing is an absolute savage of a receiver, yeah, but absolutely awesome. no defense. Everybody loves to talk about how awesome it is that Lincoln Riley uh, develops and gets all the best quarterbacks in the country, and that's true. But there are bigger wa- But is there a bigger waste of talent than what has happened with USC and Caleb Williams? He's a generational quarterback prospect, and he's likely going to miss the college football playoff in two years in a row. Um, It's just a waste of talent in Southern California. Williams won a Heisman and will be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. But what could he have done if this USC team had even a semi-functional defense? It's just a sad story. So we're going to have 10 of those tomorrow for for teams. I was kind of cathartic to write that because Mm -hmm. I've been personally invested into USC, but I think that that's the tenor in which I went to bed last night. Maybe a little bit salty about the under, <laughs> but that's more about Jed Fish than it is about, because I think Arizona would have won had they gone for two, especially considering the fact that they ran some grab-ass shoots and ladders, lateral running back throw play that, you know, if you're willing to do that in the second overtime period, yeah, you need to be willing to go for it uh, uh, on the first period overtime. Yeah. <sighs> I will say, Ari, this idea is very pervasive, and I don't necessarily disagree with it that Caleb is being wasted and a guy that I think we can probably call him a generational talent. I mean, he's definitely one of the most special players we've seen in a while. You watched it last night, right? I did. But Johnny Football was a pretty special player, and he didn't have a lot of on-field success to show for it. And I guess you can make the case with Drake May, too, that like good quarterbacks come and go. But here's the thing, and I don't know if this has hit you, and I don't mean to interrupt you. I want you to talk. Mm-hmm. But watching Caleb last night with that weird two-point conversion play that USC ran that won them the game, um, Caleb literally makes something out of nothing, like 12 to 15 times a game. Well, he scored a touchdown I, on that weird sneak play, too. He I just don't like literally f- put the dude on his back. I don't think that we as America fully appreciate how good he is at college football. I personally don't think that he is a better NFL prospect than, say, like Trevor Lawrence or some of the people that have come out. Mm-hmm. But from a pure college quarterback standpoint, he is a freaking magician. And the reason why this one feels like more of a waste than others, maybe even more so than Johnny Football, in my opinion, is, is that the step between having a the defense that they've had the last two years and having just one with the pulse is not that big of a step, in my opinion. Yeah, they don't need to be the 2000 Ravens out there. They just need to be somewhat competent and they make the playoff and potentially put themselves in a position where they could compete for a national championship. And it's just a sad, sad story. And like, if you read the tone of what I just said, I've already given up. Like they are not not losing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I don't think they're even not not losing once. Right. I think. Yeah. Two loss. Three losses is, is definitely possible because the. Schedule gets so tough down the back end. And Notre Dame will be an interesting challenge for them this week because Notre Dame, not quite as explosive. Another sad fan base. Yes. But 
Notre Dame, in some ways, feels a little bit like a like a mini Utah, where they're really going to be physical, more physical than most teams USC has played. They have a good enough defense to slow them down uh, offensively. I'm sure Marcus Freeman has some stuff uh, in his bag to, uh, to to slow down that uh, that offense. And this is going to be a huge challenge for USC. You really never know when you have this contrasting styles go head to head, and Notre Dame's not going to want to get into track meet with them. Um, and Notre Dame. The receivers have not had the same promise uh, that we saw early in the season uh, as the schedule has, has heated up a little bit for Notre Dame. I think our colleague Pete Sampson said the last time a receiver converted a first down was the third quarter of the Ohio State game, if I have that correct. That's not great. <laughs> that's, that's not what you want. Uh, so, But either way, I'm excited for that ball game. But I think big picture when you look at Caleb, he does make some special throws. I, you know, he, the arm talent is insane. That throw he made that was incomplete in the back of the end zone was, was like a perfect throw. It. I mean, that like that it didn't that, count like, because there's an incompletion. Matrix shit there. Yeah, that was like one of the wildest throws I've ever seen. Like, and he does stuff that just we haven't seen guys in college be able to do. Uh, the production is there. Obviously, I think he was the best player in the country last year. Probably the best player in the country this year. Regard, I mean, even if a ten and two USC is around and he's putting up these kind of numbers and doing this kind of stuff, he might still have a case for the Heisman at the end of the year. I think he's, despite what USC has done this year and and all of the fatalism around them, he's had a lot of special moments. Man, that throw against San Jose mm-hmm. State in Week Zero, I'm not going to forget that for a long time. Uh, a couple of those runs last night, that two point conversion. Where they had him dead to rights, and he kind of stutter stepped and lowered his shoulder and just got in and like, this is uh, he's a special player, and I, I'm looking forward to watching him down the stretch and try his best to try and outweigh this defense. Godspeed, Caleb. Uh, if they're undefeated at the end of the year somehow, he's my Heisman. Vote. Not I don't even care close. what it looks like. Yeah, well, because uh, we we mentioned it, he has to be great every single game. If he has a 16 for 26 for 220, uh, a touchdown and a pick, and they lose. 60 yards, right? They lose to, to yeah. like 60 teams, maybe? Well, all six that are left on their schedule. Maybe maybe sure. not one, but sure. their schedule is brutal. Okay, Dave, let me just uh, properly introduce you. That's uh, the show because like that's like a kind of like, an, like eight minutes of get right into football. But here, let me just remind <laughs> everybody. Uh, welcome to the Sunday sound off in the Until Saturday feed. Uh, again, that's Dave Ubbin. I'm Ari Wasserman. Please like and comment and share and subscribe to all the feeds, whether it be the YouTube channel or the podcast channel. If you're listening to us live on YouTube right now, we certainly appreciate your continued support. It really is great to, you know, I don't know about you, Dave, to see a lot of the same people in here on all the live streams. It, it's I really feel fun. Like I'm getting to know the these community people. Is cool. And I've seen a lot it's, of the it's really great tweets. The, the crank tweets yep. make me laugh. Yeah, people. Ari, guess what? I guess what I had for lunch today, my guy. I don't know. I pixie dust crepe baby crepe we're back yeah maybe you just you just can't get enough now uh (laughs) but it is great to have the community here and for people to start to understand our inside jokes and maybe get Mm -hmm. our idiosyncrasies i think that's how you build a community and of course your support in helping you know review the show sharing the show liking the show all the things on both platforms does a hell of a lot for us to continue to expand this audience and of course convince our bosses that it's worth the resources, which is really the the number one thing here. So um 
You can join us live every Thursday for the pick show every Saturday night for the reaction show. And then of course, like you are here today on Sunday for the Sunday sound off show, uh, leave a voicemail for the Sunday sound off show at three, one, six, four, six, two, nine, eight, five, two. You can call and text that line. We will definitely air towards using the voicemail, num- uh, voicemails because we like hearing your voices and having you a part of the show. Again, that's three, one, six, four, six, two, nine, eight, five, two. Also, sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter. We'll get your daily fill of college football news right to your email inbox. Uh, the links to all those things can be found in the show's description. I wrote a 250-word mini column on Georgia versus the field and where you stand on that after uh, the first week of October. I think it's an interesting debate there. Uh, we're going to go a little bit shorter on the show today, guys, because at the end of the show, we're going to plug um, a 20-minute snippet of my conversation with the great Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports, who wrote the great book, Death to the VCS, knows a ton about postseason college football. And I had a therapy session with him on YouTube exclusively last week where he tried to walk me back on some of my anti-expansion thoughts. I gave him the floor for most of it. He's a very smart individual. When he speaks, you listen. I gave him that respect, and I came away with some new perspectives on some of those things. We're putting that at the end of the show. so. If you don't want to listen to me talk about the playoff anymore, you don't have to listen to it. But if you do want to hear that <laughs> at the end of the show, you get a bonus 20 minutes um, and everybody wins. Nobody loses. Okay. Let's go straight to voicemails. Dave, what do you think? Let's do it. Let's do it. Hey, Ari. Hey, Dave. Uh, Tyler from uh, Ohio. Ari, calling you uh, specifically about your Ohio State takes and how you've been told that you're harsher on Ohio State than other teams. And I got to tell you. Um, as someone who's followed you for a long time when you're on the beat and as, you, as you've transitioned, definitely agree. You live tweet every Ohio State game as soon as they start to take over, like they did yesterday. And I'm, look, they looked like trash the first half, but in the second half, you go silent. And where was that energy when Penn State was tied 10 to 10 with Northwestern? Where was that energy when Michigan was um, only up one score against Rutgers? Um, you specifically do it with Ohio State. And then for another, like, and another thing on top of it is, you then call into question like the players like passion and their want to be there, which feels like unnecessary. Um, you don't do that with other teams. So look, does Ohio State have flaws? Yeah. You're just so intentional on pointing out everything wrong about them and making a big deal about it where you don't do it with other teams. For example, Penn State last week, when you recap that game um, on the Saturday night show, you just said, yep, Penn State kicked Northwestern's ass in the second half. It's like, whew, buddy. Ohio State played that exact same game against Northwestern, it would have been a whole segment. Yeah, that's, maybe that's fair. A lot of that's fair. He came he came out my neck. Well, first of all, the uh, <laughs> the Penn State-Northwestern game was during my daughter's second birthday party, um, and everybody at the party can attest. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Uh, so it's not, <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> they covered the spread of that game, by the way, and uh, Daddy was happy about it. But yes, I think there is a certain a focus on Ohio state that exists just based on my past covering them and knowing people on the beat still and being interested in the players because I covered a lot of their recruitments and I have relationships with people on the staff there. uh, And I watch their games more regularly than I watch other games. So I think that there is some truth to that notion. Yeah. Um, And I enjoy watching them because of just, Maybe it's nostalgic reasons or 
you know, my best friend or one of my best friends, Bill Landis still covers them very closely. And it gives me something to talk to him about. Uh, I listen to his show all the time. So I have a, I think a, maybe a deeper rooted understanding of what that team is supposed to look like. Um, who is coaching there, who used to coach there and what, what, what greatness looks like. Cause one of my years or two of my years or actually three of them were, were spent covering teams that made or played for the national championship. So yes, I, I can understand that. And if you're an Ohio state fan, um, I would hope that my thought process on them and the way that I analyze them, uh, would be a bonus because I think you're getting an extra Ohio state perspective um, that might not lack with other national writers. So yes, maybe I do need to, uh, you know, tweet, Hey, Penn state looks like they stink this week more often. And I, I think I do that. I think I do. I just don't know if it's is noticeable because you're so used to it. I also have a admission I want to make, and I think this is a good time for this, Dave. Okay. I'm scared. One of the questions, you know, they say when you die, you might <laughs> get to ask God three questions. If you waste one on Ohio state, Ari, I don't know if we can get to use podcast. Well, it's like one is who's DB <laughs> Cooper. Okay. Two, where did the Malaysian airlines airplane end up? We still don't know where this fucking thing is. Like it flew out of Malaysia and it's 10 years later. And like, there's no wreckage. There's no bodies and there's no confirmed crash site or landing. Where is a plane? If a plane goes up, it has to come back down. Well, this Malaysia Airlines years, thing. All right, in six years when they come back and they have been wondering why everyone's acting weird, they've only been gone two hours, we'll know more, right? Yeah, isn't that like a show on Apple? Uh, I there think, is a show I where a plane takes off and then, right? yeah, yeah, so. yeah. They found debris, Andrew, but it was some, it's a hoax. It's If you go watch it, like the serial numbers were filed off and stuff, it wasn't the actual debris. Um, I want to know what happened to this airplane so bad. I can't like it's it, like I watched a documentary and it kept me up because I remember reading about it and there's no, they don't even know what direction it went in. And by the way, if you're a pilot, you can just shut off the GPS in the cockpit. Like it's a switch, which I have no idea how that's even possible. But the third thing I think I would do is, and maybe this is a personal quest for me because I covered them for so long and don't know the answer to this. And I'm actually kind of ashamed of it, but I think Ohio state has done a very good job over the years of matching or coming close to matching the input of what comes into the program from a talent perspective, from a coaching perspective, the coaching salaries have been um, very equitable to what you've seen in the sec. They've got a $2 million coordinator. They signed top three classes. They've had Heisman trophy finalist quarterbacks. And there is a stark difference between what the output is for Ohio state in comparison to what the output is at a place like, let's say Georgia or Alabama, specifically Alabama, because they are good and elite every single year. Ohio state is not good and elite every single year, even though they're the only team that has kind of technically been alive on the selection. I mean, Sunday. they mostly are Ari. They're mostly, yeah, but I mean like they, they don't get like, if you compare Alabama's results to Ohio state's results, they pale in comparison. Ohio state's that is. And I would like to know what it is that Nick Saban does at his program in Tuscaloosa. And maybe there's other programs that would like to know the answer to this too, where he continually seems to inch or to squeeze out every droplet of potential out of that rag and get these guys to play like they haven't won before. And granted, I know they're not very good this year, but hell it's a flawed team and they could make the playoff again. 
Why is Ohio State constantly one or two steps behind other teams that it's similarly built to? And I think that that frustration of not understanding the answer to that also plays a part in them. I would love to know the definitive answer to that question. Do you have a theory, Dave? I'd love I to hear the, it. I think the theory is it's not an Ohio State question. It's an Alabama question And that Ohio State, what they're doing, a lot of people have done. What Alabama is doing is special, is unprecedented in the modern era of the sport to have this much excellence, this much excellence for we're going on 15 years now of just like every single year. Alabama is a contender. That's not a thing. Like, I think people are so used to it. And they're like, well, now it's now it's Kirby Smart and George is going to be untouchable for a decade. Maybe. But we just have not seen a team at that level for that long. And so I think by comparing Ohio State to Alabama, you almost do a disservice to what Ohio State has done. And I think the caller is more right than wrong. But I think with you and Ohio State, there's an element of like a Streisand effect where you sort of take for granted that there's talent and it's used well and they live up to their talent composite more than they don't live up to it. But you're sort of obsessed with this idea of like, why aren't they Alabama? And you kind of drill in on the the things that are not going well. Whereas a lot of people be like, ah, you know, they'll be all right. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think 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 that's interesting. Like the thing about it too, is that you got to remember the coach that I covered there. Um, I learned a lot about recruiting from Urban Meyer mm-hmm. and, you know, I learned a lot about football from sitting in 10 years of press conferences with the guy and the standard that he set for his own team was excellence. And the standard that we held them to as journalists, both at the Cleveland Plain Dealer and at the athletic as a beat writer was that standard. So if he's holding his team to that standard, which is greatness, excellence, being better than Alabama, beating Alabama, then that's how you're going to be judged, and that's how I judge them. So if you don't think that I'm as harsh on Penn State as I am on Ohio State, it's because Penn State is half the program that Ohio State has been for the past 10 years. They don't get held to the same standard that Ohio State gets held to. There's only two other teams in the entire country that get held to that standard, and that's Georgia and Alabama, and both of them have won more national championships than they have. Georgia has won. Georgia's Georgia's new, and I mean, Ohio State is now going on literally almost a decade without a national championship. And if you would have told me in 2014, while I stood on this field in Dallas and the confetti fell, I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> it means I'm making fun years. of Ohio State for going 10 years that wing a title. Well, poor, I'm just poor, saying poor if you would have said with the team that they were bringing back the point in which Urban Meyer was in his career, the way they were recruiting in the 10 years since, if you go look at that 2017 class, the fact that Ohio State's gone a decade without winning a national championship and granted they've been on the field to win one and, um, in the semifinals a few times to try to get there. Uh, mm-hmm. It is mind-blowing to me. There's something off. That said, I'm going to say it into the microphone right now, and it might feel like harsher this year. I legitimately think this might be the worst team that Ohio State's had since 16. There's something wrong with them. I don't know what it is yet, but they're not – they don't you measure up right. to the other teams. I, you We're going to find right. out. I, and if anybody's think- watching it, then they're an Ohio State fan. They know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I feel like another double-digit Michigan loss is coming, but we could be wrong. But it, what we've seen from Ohio State now and or so far and what you're talking about I think is possible, and I think it's just as simple as Kyle McCord is just not special yet, and that makes it hard for the excellence at receiver with Ekbuka and Harrison to really shine. If you don't have a guy 
that is processing and knows when to take chances and when to trust his guys and can put it where his guys can get it. They don't have that just yet. And McCord is a good player. I think he's going to grow into a pretty good quarterback, but it's hard being a first-year starter, and it's a little bit like Alabama's coordinators, right? You just assume that it's plug-and-play, and it's super easy, and anybody can do it, and the next guy is going to be Well, I think that the reason why people assume that is because every single quarterback that started there in their modern era has done it. It's not like yeah, this is like he's like the first person. Really, he's a third, really special players. Yeah, he's he's a five star prospect in the third sure. year in the program. Like I don't know, sure. like Justin Fields didn't need you, two years to figure it out. I think the idea that you can just have an all American caliber quarterback every single year, like I said, it seems easy when it keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening, and you take for granted that it's not just plug and play. And sometimes maybe your eval is wrong, or sometimes the guy's processing isn't where it needs to be. Or his accuracy is not what it was in high school. Or he has trouble adjusting to the speed of the game. And that makes him think too much. And the speed of the game makes his footwork or his mechanics get weird because he's not confident. He's still feeling... There's a million things that can go wrong. And so I think you are you take for granted the amount well, here's of the, quality quarterback play they've had. The so last long. thing I want to say about this, and the caller mentioned this, and he said that I was disparaging the players. And... I don't know if it's a player question. It is more of a coaching question. And maybe Ohio State hasn't played an opponent. They played on the road at Notre Dame, but they haven't played an opponent. But if you remember going back and watching the Florida State LSU game, the passion, I'd rather, I'd rather the not, speed okay. <laughs> in which they played that game, Florida State, mm-hmm. when they arrive at the football, they arrive to like take the guy's head off, not to bring him down to the ground. They play with speed. They play with heart. They feel feel like passion. And I just feel like Ohio State is a, they play slower than they are. Well, Um, but then sometimes Florida State plays BC. And I think if you get Ohio State in a game, like I think they'll have that attitude against Michigan. Whether or not that means a win, I don't know. Well, they haven't the last two years. So that's the problem. Yeah, I know, but I don't, I don't know. But then they got on the same field as Georgia last year, and it was a completely and utterly different team. So Mm -hmm. if he's able to do what he did against Georgia, and I think the fascination with Saban is Saban constantly has Alabama or has over the course of the past decade has Alabama playing like they're playing in a playoff game more weeks than not, it's which is how they win the national championship eight they times. Don't, or many they times don't have the low weeks. I've said this many times, but that's the most impressive thing about. Saban so what does Ryan Day have to do to get Ohio State to play a game like it's life or death? They could have beaten anybody in the country last year on that field. They could have beaten Georgia. They could have beaten anybody else in college football playing like that. They would have beaten Michigan playing like that. It's like, why can't you apply how they played in that dome to the way that they play Michigan the last two years? Because if you did that, Michigan loses by double digits, but they don't play that way. And maybe that's a, that's a credit to Michigan and they taking them out of their game and, you know, you know, being physical and all those things. But you're telling me Georgia's not physical. Maybe, but Ari, this is, this goes back to what we're talking about. You're, you, I don't think in your if you if we truth serumed you and we pressed you on it, I don't think you're as close to hitting the panic button as you sound, but you sound like you are. And in the same breath, Ohio State, I think we both agree, was a 50 yard field goal at midnight away from Mm -hmm. winning a national championship last year. And then this conversation changes based on the tone of a kick. So, again, I think that we're getting back to you do look at Ohio State's flaws much more closely. So. Yeah, okay, next question. Yeah, hi, it's Chris from Connecticut again. Just calling on the prospects of a playoff with no Pac-12 teams. 
Obviously, Washington State losing on Saturday. You've got USC, who hasn't looked great. Washington, Oregon play next week up in Seattle. Seems like you've got the best conference, and to Ari's point, the regular season basically is the playoff to get those four teams in. What are the chances that the Pac-12 gets nobody into that four-team playoff? This is my fear, Ari, because I love Washington, Oregon. Washington, I want to see more from their defense, but offensively, they look like the best offense in the country. Oregon looks like the most complete team in the Pac-12. But, man, there's a lot of good teams in the Pac-12 that are capable of beating you. Obviously, USC with their firepower. Maybe they figure it out. They can maybe split those. They could maybe beat both of them. I don't know. Oregon State's really physical. Uh, with DJU has protection, they look really, really good. Washington State, they're always going to be a factor. Cam Ward gives them a chance. you got to be able to contain him. And even if you do, you can make plays with his arm. And then Colorado is sort of a wild card. They pushed USC. We'll see. There's just a the second class in the big in the in the Pac-12 is really capable of beating all those teams at the top. And so I'm worried about it because I want to see those teams in the playoff. Not only for just fresh blood, but they're fun. And I think they're really good, but you have to prove it on the field. And I think the Pac-12 looking like the best conference on the whole is going to make it really, really hard for those teams to get out. Now I think at least one just by math alone, gets there. But, you know, people joke about the Pac-12 cannibalization, but the Pac-12 has never had, well, I say never, has not in a long time had a uh, penthouse as good as it is right now and, like, a, you know, club level also as good as it is. And that's that's going to be a test. Well, it's funny that you bring that up, Dave, because I was watching the U of A-USC game last night, and I thought, you know, this U of A team is a pretty disciplined team that plays hard, has some talent Spunky. around it. And like. They can, mm-hmm. they can, they can bite somebody, and they almost mm-hmm. did on Saturday night. The amount of progress that Jed Fish has made, and I'll tell him to his face if he was on the show right now. I cannot believe he didn't go for two. Yes, the the turnaround of that program—they are not a joke anymore. They are yeah. they're pretty good, um, and I think that they they will be able to beat those teams. Now, the only way because we went from in the last year of the Pac-12, they're going to get two teams in. It's going to be the craziest thing ever. Ha ha ha! <laughs> to October 8th, none of them are going. And it's like, I think that they are guaranteed probably with the conference that they are this year, if there is a one-loss conference champion that they're in, yes. right? Like, yes. at least that's the, schedule the good will news. Be, you have, if you get a one-loss champion, the schedule will be strong enough. Speaks for itself. Based for the on first that, time that in top years. six. That you'll, yeah, that top um, six, you're almost guaranteed. So you're afraid that the Pac-12 champ is going to have two losses? It's po- It's definitely possible. Uh, that's your fear. To, well, getting to Vegas, too. You're going to play whoever's the underdog in that game will be able to win that game. No question about it. And if you have a one loss team against a two loss team in Vegas and the two loss team wins, it's going to be nervy. There's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of things that have to happen between now and then. And maybe there's another team hanging around or whatever. But the idea that a one loss team and a two loss team meet in Vegas and the two loss team wins that would be kind of a shame because it's going to if that happens you're going to have the same old same old playoff field and speaking as somebody who wants the sport to be more national and has enjoyed the west coast's resurgence it's not great for the sport when the four playoff teams are you know in a 200 mile uh radius and maybe you throw an ohio team in there i mean if there's That's only a way <laughs> there's only a way that we could make all these games that you're afraid of teams losing not matter 2024, mm. guys, we're getting there. We're one year away from or, that. From that or not if mattering. there was only a way that we could get the best teams to all get to play each other, 
and not just in their conference. And maybe. And uh, I've got an answer for you. Don't penalize them when they lose. There you go. That's it. You got it. And they figured it out. They they figured out. the. uh, I was so proud of you of, of your, after your therapy session with Dan. And I, I fear that you have, you have relapsed into your your playoff (laughs) hatred. So I think that the number one thing that is interesting about this Pac-12 race and the question is f- expressing fear that the Pac-12 will not make the playoff. God, is it going to be fun to watch this play out? And if they're not in the playoff, that means we had a hell of a great season in the Pac-12 with some awesome games in October and November, and those games mattered. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna cherish that more than the memory of the Pac-12 because we are not going to get that anymore. So I'm I'm excited for that, and I'm, and I'm excited to see. You know what? If you were good enough to make the four-team field, that means you're good enough to potentially win a national championship. That means that you're good enough to get through your tough conference with one or less or fewer losses. Um, and that's not too much to ask, I don't think, when we're talking about national championship. And that's my take, and it always will be my take. It's a lot and, to ask still. Yeah, it won't be. It, uh, next year, won't, you won't have to ask anybody to do anything. Everybody is going to get in, and there's going to be a Rose Bowl parade at all the postseason games. Reminder, less can, than 10% of the teams in college football will be getting in, and that is the lowest percentage of any other sport. Just saying. Yes. Everybody love everybody. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Do you watch pro sports? I do, and I like that college football is different. I don't want to make it that. I love the NFL. I can't wait. Gonna bet a bunch of money on the 49ers when this this thing's over with. Hopefully, uh Ari, if you did the math, if you did the math, okay, and you took the same amount of college teams, percentage wise, and you took the same amount of NFL teams, you'd basically have a three team NFL playoff where the best team with the best record goes straight to the Super Bowl and then two teams play for the right to play them. That's the math that we're talking about. Um, yes. I don't want to turn this into goodwill hunting. I just want to let you know that uh, I like the way it is now. And I don't want more of the NFL. I've got plenty of it. They have games on Thursday and Monday and Sunday now, and then playoff games on Saturday when the college, I don't need to do that again on Saturdays. So um, all right, one of these years, Air Force is going to make the playoff and it's going to be incredible and you can cry about it. No, I'm excited for Air Force to make the playoff. It'll be fun to watch. What I'm not excited about is the detriment that that will have when it does happen. Okay, do you want to get to written submissions? Yeah, let's do it. Aaron H. via The Athletic, USC, Washington, and to a lesser extent, Oregon and UCLA all play a pretty different style of football than big football. What is more likely, the conference moves force, or the conference move forces them to become more boring? Sorry, big fans, but it's true, or the opposite. They force the conference at large to evolve styles. And I think that's an interesting question. Thank you for submitting it. It's like... <clears throat> Really, uh, like Utah hasn't forced anybody to do anything, and nobody has forced Utah to do anything. And I feel like Utah, like, is a Big Ten West team, a good one. Well, one of the things that I love about college football, Ari, and there's a lot of things to love, but I really do think my favorite thing about this sport is the diversity of scheme. A lot of teams do a lot of different stuff, and sometimes those schemes go head to head, and it's pretty unpredictable, and it produces great football games. And I think what you're going to get in the Pac-12 is a lot, or uh, sorry, the big whatever we want to call the new Big Ten, is a lot of that kind of thing. And I'm excited to see those kind of games. As much as I enjoyed the spread amount Big 12 of the early 20, you know, 2006 to like 2012, where everybody was running some version of the air, 
of the air raid. And then Kansas State came in and just like, you know, Bill Snyder was still running the same offense he'd run in 1991. And it was sort of all of a sudden a curveball that was really effective. I, I really am interested to see that. Now, the one variable that I don't really know that we're going to find out is how much does some of this scheme and the way that the player that, that these programs are designed and built to win games is the weather going to be a thing. You're going to play a lot of Big Ten games in cold weather. The Pac-12, you're not. And the Pac-12 is a little bit more open. It's a little bit more quarterback-driven. There's still some toughness. It's not like you're going, you know, chuck and duck versus three yards in a cloud of dust. It's a little, it's much more nuanced than that. But do you, if you are a Pac-12 team, one of that quartet that's going into the Big Ten, and you know you're going to be playing November games with a lot on the line, and you might be playing them in 30-degree weather, do you have to change some things? I don't actually know the answer to that question. But I'm excited to find out. And also play the Big Ten Championship game in the Rose Bowl. I think they should play the National Championship in the Rose Bowl. The thing that I think about a lot as it pertains to weather is, doesn't it get really cold in, in Eugene? Doesn't it get really cold in Seattle? I've never been to Seattle, but I've been to Eugene and I was freezing. Not that. And I don't, not like, not, not like in, in the, the winter same time, way that like it get Michigan. Cold? Not like Michigan, Ari. Yeah. Not in the same way. Um, not like Michigan, not like too, Northwestern or whatever you want to say. From a scheme standpoint, if you watch UCLA play, you know, they've got the one of the forefathers of the spread offense coaching their team. Mm-hmm. But when UCLA is really good, they run the ball really well. Like Charbonnet, last year with Charbonnet, I mean, they, they really awesome. did a really good job of building their lines and running the football. Now, that's not always going to be um, the case with everybody every year. But I don't know how it's not like this is like Mike Leach, Texas Tech versus, yeah. you know, prime Wisconsin. Like, I, I don't think that the styles are that different. Um, everybody does a little bit of spread. Everybody runs the ball. And, you know, I don't know if any of the four teams, maybe not Washington this year, but any of the four teams have a history of like ignoring the running game. Well, but so, the question is, if you if you are so like if you're USC, right, and you have Caleb Williams. And he's maybe not the best example. How about we'll go Michael Penix. If you're Michael Penix and you're Washington, okay, and you are competing for a Big Ten title, and then all of a sudden you get eight win Northwestern and you got to go there to get into the Big Ten championship and you show up and it's icy and there's a 25 mile an hour crosswind coming off the lake and it's going to be tough to throw the ball is that a scenario that you worry about if you're one of those four teams? I, I it's probably yeah. in the back of your head, right? I mean, the and coldest then all of day of my life was in Minnesota on an Ohio state road trip. Yeah. Well, the first time I went out to Colorado for the Dion experience, it was negative 20 in December. I did not have a frame of reference. As somebody who I, the most North I've ever lived is Columbia, Missouri. I did not have a frame of reference for that kind of cold. And that like ruined me. I really, I just, I could not handle it. It's just not for me. I can do as much heat as you want. I can be out in triple digits all day. I've done that many, many times. But, dude, every time I stepped outside in that, I just did not want to do it. And I think I'm very curious, too, like, if you're recruiting mostly California guys, is there an element of, like, mm-hmm. when you go play those games, well, you know, there's a reason why before the like conference changed, there's a question there. about whether you can only, you know, like, I think that you could ask the question, even if they weren't leaving the Pac-12, can USC win a national championship? recruiting 80% California players, I think the answer to that question is probably no. 
Well, and there's also the trend lines of playing football, and there's fewer and fewer playing people playing football on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And every year it gets not, worse. And that is not the case in the South. The numbers are pretty pretty solid in the South. Uh, you're not really. It's just different. So it, it's really this merging is really going to be fascinating. I there's a lot of variables and a lot of things you have to think about. I think if I was Lincoln Riley, I'd be very annoyed that I have to deal with this because if you if you made that decision and you're Lincoln Riley, right, and you say I'm, I'm I, I don't want to be in Oklahoma anymore, I don't want to do the SEC thing, but I can go out to LA, I can dominate in recruiting, I can have a Heisman quarterback every other year, and then all of a sudden you get thrown this curveball with the with the Big Ten, and now you got to be thinking about all these things that don't have good answers, Ari. Do you want to commit a bunch of wholesale program changes to some theoretical thing? Or do you want to say, no, we're going to be us. And then you go two years down the line and you end up in one of those games where it's a 25 mile an hour wind in the wind chill of negative five. And you end up like that Patriots Bills game a couple years ago where you just couldn't throw the ball. I mean, when you get up in that situation. And, I mean, and, in and the Big the Ten, program. for the most part, we're talking about Midwestern cities. We're not playing in sure. Buffalo. Like it's a very different weather. Like I mean, yeah, I, I covered Big Ten game, football huh? for ten years, and I don't think I was in one environment. I mean, maybe that Minnesota environment, but it's not like you're going to be playing in a blizzard often. It's whether or not you can throw the ball in the cold, and you know, I, I I think that if that happens once every five years, then maybe that would be a lot. Like I don't think that you have to change your recruiting philosophy or the way you run offense because you're afraid of. Like, listen, too, I think that you USC could go up to Minnesota right now and beat them in a blizzard. Um, regardless of whether or not they can throw it because they're just a better football team than them. So, yeah. Um, in fact, maybe it would actually be interesting if you played USC defense in a blizzard. That might actually help. Nah. No, nah, I don't think it would either. Yeah, you still yeah. got to tackle. <laughs> uh, actually, might have to tackle more. But, yeah, no, yeah. styles will be interesting. Um, hopefully, Pac-12 fun is contagious on what's left or what – was the Big Ten West because I, I am of, intrigued as the yeah. flip side of that of the Big Ten West. They all kind of run the same like crappy thing like that nobody really wants to watch. It's not as bad in the East, but in the West, like you look at what they run and it's just like kind of like squished in, but still pro style with some like mild spread influences outside of Iowa. And we'll see what Wisconsin is uh, over time. But like they all kind of run very, very similar styles. It all looks kind of same, the same. They don't really have the athletes that make you really want to watch it. Like Minnesota had a nice run of receivers, but outside of that, man, offensive and like schematic, like nobody wins the last time that any college football coach was watching a Big Ten West game and said, oh, I like what they were doing schematically there. I'm going to go take a trip up there in the offseason and learn what they're doing. That's not a thing that happens. And so I, I'm very intrigued to see maybe if there's some influence the other way of teams realizing if we want to compete for titles or win 10 games in a year, we got to change some stuff. I hope so, because it's not fun football. Next question. Let's do it. Anonymous text submission. Scary. Will wins over legacy programs receive undue weight in the rankings, even when the legacy program doesn't have a very good team this year? For example, will Texas get too much credit for beating Alabama if Alabama ends up 8-4 and four and not even in the top 25? Similarly, will Florida State receive unwarranted credit for beating LSU and Clemson if those programs likewise have 8-4, and 9-3 seasons? So the short answer to this question is no. And 
I think the one like people really hate the committee for reasons I don't actually fully understand. And I think people get way too wrapped up in what this chairman has to say every Tuesday night because you're ha- you're having to defend things that you may not even necessarily believe. And and it's impossible chairman- to stay on point with the criteria because there's yes. so many things that contradict one another. There is no nobody. Yes. Me, you, the person who's mad could not get on TV and answer all those questions without contradicting themselves. Yes. It's impossible. And they do dumb things from time to time. But I would challenge you to go back in the history of the committee. They have not done anything egregious. They do a great job more often than not. Now, from week to week, they do do some weird stuff and there's been a, there's been plenty of things that people could could critique and get mad about and all that stuff. But when the rubber hit the road and picking the playoff, because don't forget, from October 31st until November, whatever, the last one, it's a TV show, guys. You're trying to create ratings. It doesn't actually affect anything. The very end is the only thing that actually affects anything, where it's a lot more than just a TV show. You're de- you're determining people's fates. Now, my one number one beef, and Ari, I know you don't care about their feelings, so you know, uh, uh, just humor me here. My number one beef with the committee and you learn this. I went through the mock exercise like you did. Are I think most of the people on our staff have gone through it. If you look at the way that they weight schedules and how they assess teams, the whole thing is rigged against the group of five. Like a group of five team is always going to have an albatross around their neck because of the strength of their conference. And you need a perfect storm like Cincinnati got to outweigh that. But even if you're a team like the the Memphis team a few years ago that ended up in the Cotton Bowl. Um, you know, I thought they should have been ranked much, much higher. And there's been a bunch of teams like that that are never going to get the proper respect. And I think there was the group of five sort of lied to themselves when they when they built out this playoff and said, we've had teams like TCU and Boise get locked out of the BCS. Well, we're expanding the playoff and it's going to be easier for us to get in the playoff. It's been the opposite. It's been much, much harder for the group of five to get any playoff consideration. You know, UCF is probably the most famous team to get left out of it. And then they went and beat Auburn in their bowl game. But the way that the committee works and the metrics that they use, it is absolutely a very steep uphill battle for any group of five team to even get a sniff. And I hate that. That's my only main critique. But can I ask you a question? I'm scared to the what this question is going to be. I, mean, right. I, I, like, yes. I understand what you're saying. Like You want everybody to get a fair shake. But the group of five schedule is by fact, weaker. That's fine. It's that not a subjective you, thing. You so are, of you course are, you they're going to get worse. No, yeah, I know, but are, I'm saying are. like if you use that as a metric, then you have to stick with the data and the metric is telling the truth. They've got a soft schedule in comparison to who they're competing against. Yeah, but it's really, really heavily weighted. It's not even that they can't make the playoff, Ari. It's that they're like way below what they should be. When you start having two and three lost teams above undefeated G5 teams with like a couple top 25 wins. That's ridiculous. And we've seen that over time. And these teams, when they actually get on the field with teams that don't want to play them for obvious reasons, they do show up. And more often than not, if you look back at the history of every time these small schools and these small teams get to play in BCS games, everybody wants to talk about Colt Brennan and that Hawaii team. But more often than not, they either acquit themselves very, very well or they win. 
and they don't get a chance and it sucks and this is one of the best things I'm most excited about in the in the 12 team playoff era because it is absurd to me that you have half of the sport that can win every game you put on their schedule by however many points you want and they have a less than 3% chance of even getting to do anything other than go play in a New Year's Six Bowl with a team that's going to have a bunch <laughs> Andrew, of opt-outs. Andrew Cooper just said Group of Five schedule is harder than Michigan's. I don't disagree <laughs> with that. That's actually probably uh, true yeah, this that's, year. That's hilarious. Yeah, you know what? The one positive that I will at least own up to about the 12-team playoff is everybody's got a shot. And if that's yes. your thing and that's what you care about, then there's no denying that. So um, we'll see how it goes. The, I thought the, that the, the playoff... The, the way it was made me so angry, Ari. That's like... There's not a lot of things in sport that make me actually mad, but the teams getting disrespected and not even just disrespected, not even given a chance, like infuriated me. And I think I don't not think being a possibility in the new era. There is has been out. a fourteen playoff since its inception in 2014, where I thought that's wrong. What do you mean? The final four that they get to, you know, along the I way. Gen- it's a I lot- generally yeah, agree, I but it's ridiculous get it right every that. Year. But it's ridiculous that UCF, a team that goes undefeated and then beats Auburn. Doesn't even get a chance to try or show or see. Mm-hmm. That's absurd to me. And I'm glad we don't have to deal with that in the 12-team world. Yeah. And then, of course, when they beat them, everybody's like, well, they don't care. You know, Boise beat Oklahoma. Well, yeah, I know they had Adrian Peterson and freaking like this insane team. Ah, but they weren't. They, they didn't. They underestimated him. No, like that Boise team was just really good. Like, sorry, guys. I mean, I don't know that I would. I would like stack the... UCF win over Auburn in the Peach Bowl. Like, what can that they do? More have, well, what can they do? You put them in front of them and the they team beat them. That they put in front of them won the national title. Like, uh, sure, but like it's not wrong. What, it I might know, feel just, sad to you, but the pick wasn't wrong. I'm not saying that they deserve to be in the top four. I'm not saying that they're getting robbed of like oh they should have been included. I'm just saying it's absurd that they have no shot. And I'm glad we don't have to deal with that anymore. Okay, yeah, that's then that's a that's a fair opinion. opinion, and that is a fact that it's changing. Okay, yes. one last question, Dave, and then we'll get out of here. Yeah. Nick S. via The Athletic. Ari's biggest negative about the playoff expansion of 12... Oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> Ari's biggest negative about the playoff expansion of 12 is now Ohio State's regular season doesn't matter. Who cares if a team in the top four is always going to win it all? It's more high-stakes football. How can you be around college football so much and still think these Michigan-Ohio State games are going to lose their luster? Realignment is actually who's hurting the storylines. It's not the expansion of the playoff. Well said. I I think the most annoying thing to me in the entirety of college sports over the last decade is all of the fear-mongering from administrators and commissioners well, we can't. We couldn't have a playoff for the longest time, Ari, because that was going to ruin the regular season, right? Well, we can't have players be able to uh, have uh, more than the cost of attendance because then, you know, there's, every school is going to pay for cost of attendance differently, and it's going to become a recruiting piece, and we can't have that. Well, we can't have NIL because then people are going to stop watching the games, and it's going to be wrong, and we can't have people picking their schools based on, you know, money because that's never happened in college sports anymore. Well, all these things, talking about fear-mongering, this is going to ruin the sport. Meanwhile, they're chasing the dollar themselves and doing it at the cost of rivalries and regional identity and all these traditions and the things that make the sport special to Ari, quite frankly, turn the sport more into the NFL right under our noses. And they want to talk about all these things ruining the sport while doing the things that are actually ruining the sport. So our guy is correct. And yes, there's one thing that I take exception to that he said. 
Okay. Nobody has to teach me or explain to me that rivalries and the fans who root for them care. Like if, if at any point in time I've made a point where people think, oh, he thinks that no one's going to care about the Ohio State Michigan game anymore. Please stop thinking I think that. It's yeah. embarrassing for me. Like you're hurting my feelings. I don't think that. Yeah. But yeah, I agree with a lot of what you just said. So, okay. Thank you so much for listening to the latest edition of Until Saturday, the Sunday Sound Off show. We were a little light on voicemails this week. Get Please up, get folks. back in the game. Get <laughs> you know, look, you know what I love about the first voicemail? You had a guy who, who had a grievance with me and he just came out at it straight. I listened. I heard. I acknowledged. I explained. If you hate me, please leave a voicemail. I love it. If you love Dave and his food takes, leave a voicemail. Um, right, we got a, we got a voicemail from the from the uh, Penn State Stadium from an Iowa fan. I was hoping we could get a Miami uh, fan voicemail. Just in their in their living room with the shattered remnants of their television strewn about their living room, but we didn't get that. <laughs> you, you know what's so funny is uh, I was just got done watching the Steelers game today against the Ravens, mm-hmm. and I literally watched Iowa play football today. <laughs> For as much as we are talking about about the NFL and college becoming one and the same, it's like the Steelers have a terrible offense. And they have the exact same uniforms as Iowa. Mm-hmm. They play disgusting defensive football. They create turnovers with TJ Watt and they win games 17 to 10. It's just like, okay. I mean, I was like, I literally <laughs> watched an Iowa game. So uh, yes, Daniel Carrot hates your food takes Dave, but guess what? You're going to have a whole season of them because we're going to start leaning into them a little bit more because I find them to be wildly entertaining. Uh, thank you guys so much for participating. I'm going to leave you with the phone number one more time. 316-462-9852. You can leave a voicemail whenever you want. It doesn't have to be after the games. Again, 316-462-9852. Hopefully next week we'll have more. Um, that was the latest edition of Until Saturday. And now let's kick it to my exclusive interview with Yahoo Sports' Dan Wetzel for College Football Playoff Expansion Therapy. I am very amused by the notion of we are doing this for the little guy. Everybody who plays the sport now has a path. Um, yeah, those, that, that, those are straw men argue. Those are, those are, that's a silly, no, argument. but like a lot of people are like, well, well everybody that's, in that's the sport not, now, that's why I'm not bringing it up. That's why I um, came at you with a different argument. I'm not coming. Oh, the little guys got a chance. They, they never had a chance. Yeah. It's a, it's a great American theme you know, get in, win a game, maybe, maybe over look at Gonzaga, right? Gonzaga basketball. It's in the West coast conference, you know, over 20 years, Mark few builds it up. They got a lottery pick every year and they could win the national title. That's great. That's basketball. And it takes 20 years. The idea that just everybody's got a shot to win a football title. Hell no. Well, they, they so get a seat at the I don't table. Make that dumb they get argument. a seat at the table. People people care but about the seat. What at the if table. Tulane? Let's say Tulane last year gets USC in that Cotton Bowl. Okay, what if Tulane wins a game? It yeah. is bonkers. It's crazy. Now, would you know how often does that happen? I don't know. But we've had sixteen. Like who knows? But it could happen. It could happen. You could have a good team from the Group of Five. Sure, you can. Especially now with the portal. It's yeah. a whole different ball game now. It's not uh, if I get four good recruiting classes of three stars and maybe I value. No, it's like so-and-so showed up and I well, got the, a quarterback. The one thing that I wanted to say, though, and I want to make sure I say it, is we are helping 
everybody gets a seat at the table now. Everybody can feel nice and fuzzy inside. We are helping the teams that we are sick of the most get in more. We are removing the excitement from all of those seasons. The upsets. Listen, and I know that my 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 entire career covering Ohio State skews my thought process. But I remember walking into stadiums in November where if you lose this game, it is pandemonium. Like th- this is like those games are gone forever. It could be. Could be pandemonium or it could not. Yeah. That's the it, thing. It's not every time pandemonium. I think it's because you covered Ohio the State. Moment, what is the excitement right now for Michigan's football season? Got to wait till mid-November to play. Well, that's two games? a scheduling question. Uh, I, uh, all right, that's fair. Yeah, like, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I, I can't help with a schedule. Right. So um, you sit around and go, "What's the excitement here?" Uh, I mean, Georgia is Georgia, and that was a hell of an interesting game at Auburn. They got a hell of an interesting game against Kentucky. Football will stand on its own. It's the greatest sport. It's the most pop. People love watching football. And it's one of the things I just always found comical. And I know it's the side thing where they go, well, if we give um, if we give players an academic award, like the NCA argued in front of the Supreme Court that if they were giving players who got an academic award, three thousand dollars, it would ruin the sport. Yeah. Ten percent of fans would no longer watch the sport yeah. because they'd be outraged that the linebacker made $3,500 last year because he got straight A's. Okay, that's what they argued. And that's what these commissioners and everyone parrots on Capitol Hill. And you go, you're playing football. You do know that, right? You can't screw. You, like, there, there will always be excitement in the football. The Texas-Oklahoma game this weekend is going to do a huge television. Everyone's going to be excited for it. You, you me, yeah. everyone. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. If each team wins the rest of their games, they play again like 30 miles to the east, probably, I don't know, or west, right? I don't yeah. know, I think it's the Jerry world. Nobody is thinking that during the game. They want to win. And yep. the football game will still matter. The traditions will still matter, all those things. It's not the, 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 the parts that you will lose. That, those, I, and I, like I said, that, that wild night where Iowa State steps up on a Friday and everyone who's a The ones they make 30 for 30s about, yeah. Yes, but you will get 30 for 30 when Tulane wins a wins a playoff game or you will get just really good playoff game the between you know Wisconsin and a, like a, a you know Wisconsin and LSU or Penn State and LSU and the game is on campus they have to put these games on campus they have to put more of them the one round is is the only thing that's going to save that first round but as it goes they'll eventually get this thing right the bowl games are a total drain on interest but that is a self-created problem. It's not and the playoffs we, problem. We probably both it's the know commissioner's problem. That this is just the first step to 24. You know, we're probably going to get there. I don't know about and, that. And, and I really hope that I hope it's not. They can't make but, those kids play that many games. It's just they're not they're not they're going to do that real quick. The, yeah. it's, the the step is get the games on campus because then there is huge value in being number 1 or number 2. Huge value. And there's huge value being in the top four. And then there's huge value being the top eight. And the yeah. seed, when seeding matters, these games you think are useless actually still have a lot of value because getting in as a four is more important than a five. It's much, more be- it's much better than a five. And getting in as an eight is much better than a nine and things like that. So there, there are ways to, to increase this, improve this. As but a podcaster, we, yeah. and you're a podcaster. Yeah. 
the one thing that I love about the sport, and maybe it's because we make content, but we are going to miss dramatically, or I am, is yes, seating will matter. Getting a bye week will matter. Being able to host a game matters. But if that is what we're going to be debating on our shows in November, rather than who's alive and who's dead. But they're like, all that's dead. So that right now they're all dead. Well, you get into mid-November, there's like six, seven teams. Six, seven, eight. Yeah, maybe eight teams. We get down to last year's last year's conference championship weekend. The only drama was would USC who has to play an extra game lose so that a team not playing could that just lost by like 30 points at home to their arch rival could get in. And they also could fix that too. You know, it'd be very simple. They simply could just pick them. Yeah. We have the greatest system on earth. What a horrible championship weekend it was. Hey, USC, we're all going to run a mile. uh, We're going to run a mile race, but Ohio state only has to run nine tenths of the mile or this is where we all ran the race. Now you run farther. That was last year's a conference championship weekend. If you, you, if you take back and you look at the games in a dispassion, that was an absolute abomination. You go, who the hell came up with this system that could produce this? Yeah, no, I'm, okay. I'm with you yeah. on that. Yeah. The top three teams could lose. One of them did. And the fourth team lost when the other team didn't have to play. It's just a shame there weren't any other good enough teams to be considered. That, it, I think a lot of times but when that's this, the thing, this, when this grab ass happened, this current system doesn't always produce. I but would we agree. Can't if find every four, time you can't, so we're going to get four, twelve. You're going to get twelve, but it, we can't find four. But we're going to get twelve. Yes, but the the four. What I'm saying is the current system of four is not exactly operating at some. This is the greatest thing anyone's ever seen. It's not. That's a terrible way to end a season. Ed, when you're looking into November next year and there are six to seven conference races that matter to get in and in those areas of the country, it's going to you may sit there and go, I don't care. Fine. You keep focusing on the Georgia, Ohio State, whatever you find your thing to interest them. But other people will look at it all. Hey, everyone's alive, right? I have a reason to watch this game. You never have a reason to watch like the ACC championship game or the Pac-12 championship game. You rarely matters. Clemson's good enough to get in, though they can lose or win. Doesn't matter. Now maybe it does. Seeding matters. All different stuff matters. There will be so many more games in November. So I get it. You're going, hey, look, I don't really care if a two, if 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 uh, uh, Washington can still get in when they should have been eliminated when they lost to Oregon earlier. But you're not getting anything now. It's just an add-on. It's not going to affect Georgia's ability to win the national title or Ohio State's ability to win a national title. It's just an add-on excitement for some people. If you don't like it, okay. But if you get, you're going to lose two or three games, you, where's your good wins? It's not that easy in college football to just be like, well, I'm, I'm nine and three, but I've got a bunch of good wins that can get me in. I don't I don't know that three wins, three losses will be that easy to get in. We'll see. Yeah, but I also think, too, that if you lose three games, like that is the worst a bad Alabama team can be. 
Like it Probably is the worst would. a Georgia not, team I, I, can be. Nobody it's wants the, the three loss team. Yes. They, it's not a great thing. So, I'm not saying it's great. Maybe we could add another rule that says if you lose three games, you're automatically out. Well, because uh, like they I, have a harder. They have, they're, they're, believe me, the SEC and Big Ten didn't add all these teams and say, oh, we're going to get more losses. So they the, the the best solution they could have is either eliminate co- eliminate conference championship games. They're generally pointless, and that would make the regular winning the regular season title even more important. Yeah. Um, and, and and go home field advantage all three rounds until the championship game. Uh, those two things would be uh, significant factors to improve the regular season, the excitement of the regular season. But the if you just look at it numerically and and not this one example or that one example, you're talking about again scores of games each season. Maybe I think it was like seventy to a hundred we were coming up with. Now it's going to be a different scenario because you have less conferences. It's but that's a lot of games. That are going to be like, I mean, there are times. So you run a podcast, I run a podcast. There's times you're going in the weekend, and this is usually when it's a lot of fun. Okay, a lot of stuff happens, but you're like, we got one game here with uh, two ranked teams. We ain't got a whole lot going on, but next week, right? It's it's not that something fun won't happen, or it's not you know these are kind of sacred Saturdays, right? You want to watch every time, but you can see where it's not like this is running perfectly now. Um, it, it's just. Did you change the channel to the Georgia game when Auburn was winning? Absolutely. It's exciting, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> but did I think Georgia was going to get knocked out of the playoff? No. But in this year, talk about quality wins. It's certainly a question. Maybe. Maybe you know, not. It's just like that, you can't that, automatically. That not, the thing that you're doing that, I, that is my wrong. Mind. But this, the thing see, that I think that you're doing wrong here is assuming that every time you lose, you're you're still fine all the time. Now, maybe I guess Georgia could run the table and be a one-loss champ and get in still. But I've seen with my it, eyes teams it, lose to lesser teams that ruin their season. It can happen, but it also cannot happen. And the number of times that great team it happens to, maybe it happened, it happened to Urban Meyer and Ohio State, more times than maybe anybody else. But we've seen Alabama, the SEC teams, eh, loss, whatever. We're moving on. Um, I mean, Alabama got in, didn't win its division. Didn't win the SEC West. Lost to Auburn, still got in. And won the title. And won the title. Not saying it was wrong. Just saying that's how it went. So you go, that excitement isn't always... The excitement, okay, maybe it's 5% more. Maybe it's 10% more that this could kill Georgia's chances. Or maybe it's just, this is a really great football game down at Auburn. And I want to see whether Hugh Freeze can get get that game in the first time. Like, could this happen, right? Mm-hmm. The Ohio State-Michigan game last year, I mean, everyone knew they still had a chance right after the game. I remember Michigan coaches being like, they shouldn't get in, right? They're already like, I don't think they should. It's already everyone yelling. Ohio Stadium was devastated by that loss. Mm -hmm. They were, I mean, it was was crickets walking out of there. There was anger. Uh, it, It could be at her. It could not. The number. I'm just looking. If you look at the numbers, the number of times it does and doesn't isn't as. It's the number of times it matters is less than you think, and then the number of games you're going to add. Is it going to be different? Are you going to lose certain magical things? 
hundred percent. It would be ridiculous to claim otherwise. The same way it'd be ridiculous to say, finally, the underdog has a chance. No, they don't. They don't. Okay. Um, but you are adding so much more and there's going to be other magical things that happen and other crazy things that happen that as a totality will make this better. You're going to love it. You're going to write a column like two years. The athletic says why I've come around on the 12 team playoff. The one thing that I will say is that everybody who watches college football watches it through a different lens. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Utah fan, you don't watch college football the same way a Alabama fan would. So there are a lot of people out there that stand to gain quite a bit from this change. Absolutely. I think that my problem is that my my window of interest or the thing that revs my engine is watching the gladiators play. You know, like I watch the, the teams that have 27 first round draft picks. On the 85-man roster. They're still going to play each other when they get there. And I am kind of sad that their regular seasons are gone. That said, I can understand the other side of it. And I hope that in two years we're talking on this podcast again. And I'm saying to you, you know what, Dan? This is the best thing ever. I hope the conversation isn't. I didn't really consider what we're losing on this. This whole. I deal. think you're going to see it's good. I, I'll give you like an example of the NCAA basketball tournament. NCAA basketball tournament. I remember talking to someone was like, "This is the perfectly constructed um, entertainment product." Okay, especially when it was 64. But they, of course, they screw it up. Um, but it was reality TV before anyone knew what the hell it was. Right. You take all these teams, scatter around the country, get the whole country interested. The first two days are about people standing there screaming and rooting for a college they never heard of, don't even know what state it's in, just because it says like 15 next to their number and the other one's two, right? And you don't even care. And they all fight it out and you get all excited and Northern Iowa wins or Abilene Christian or whatever the whole thing is, right? UMBC. And everyone's excited. And then by the end, it's Kentucky against Kansas and Duke against Michigan State, right? And so at the end, the heavyweights fight but we get excited about this part of the event that literally has no bearing on anything. And people love it as an entertainment product. It's a perfectly constructed entertainment product. And when you look at it that way, you're like, yeah, you can see why it's so popular. That's that's a really good way of putting it. No one's ever said that to me. Right. I just don't want the really good. This is not going to be that. This is not going to be that because it's going to be one team. No, it'll be one team. No one's uh, the underdog. What? Underdog Wisconsin, underdog Penn State. No, no, I'm saying in terms the, of the first few rounds the, being the appetizer. I'll only give you this. The pr- yeah. you are, you're discounting the pressure of winning a playoff game and the drama and the narrative and the interest. Because, again, those are the games journalists. where those teams plays the best, Dan. Those teams but, never lose those games. No, no. When When's Penn the, State is in a playoff game. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I Penn thought you meant like the Georgias seven, and stuff. Yeah. And okay. LSU's the 10. And LSU's coming to Penn State, and Brian Kelly needs a dang win, and Chance Franklin needs a win. Yeah, and it's a hundred thousand, hundred thousand people, everybody watching your own TV window, 16, 17 million, maybe more, and this game matters to those two coaches and those two programs and those two fan bases in a huge, huge way. Even though they know, yeah, we're probably not winning three more games. That game, those games will be unbelievable, and we don't get them now. Mm-hmm. 
the, some of these playoff games are going to be huge. Some of them, yeah, they're going to, you know, someone's going to roll the Mountain West team uh, or something like that, right? But some of them are going to be absolutely fascinating because it's like at their own level, they're playing. And you sit there and go, boy, this could be interesting. Because one of these guys loses this game, he might get fired on the, he might get mm-hmm. left on the tarmac. Um, and so there are going to be these things that there's just going to be a value on to it. And the, the, the sheer number of value on overwhelms what is being lost. Is there tradition loss? Yes. Look, I'll put it this way. Do I, I don't like conference realignment. Okay. I'm not a fan of it at all. I thought if we had no done one this is, play, yeah. one of the biggest things I argued in death to BCS, the way to stop conference realignment and save these conferences was give everybody an automatic bid. The big East. I wish the big East would come back. All those schools were good schools that competed together in the big East and they had a lot of fun. Now they all are getting tanked pretty much. Right. Yeah. Rutgers, BC, Syracuse. Great. Congratulations. You're in the power five. You all, you lose, all, you lose all your games, but when they, they are having a lot of fun. Um, so I don't like conference realignment, but I will say it'd be pretty interesting when Texas and Oklahoma are playing SEC teams next year. That's a lot more exciting on this, on that level than like the current slate where you're looking at Oklahoma's schedule and going, what is this thing this year? Mm-hmm. Like you roll out of bed, you got 10 wins at Oklahoma. So there are value ons, even if you don't like something and you sit there and go, boy, I really loved it that Texas would have to go to these little towns up and down the plains and sometimes they'd lose and they, I, I love that, but there is a value of like, Hey, they're playing more games I'm interested in. So not everything is like zero or I'm not going to tell you that every single thing about the playoff is going to be the greatest thing you ever had and you will never miss. And there's not a single thing that'll change and everything is better. It's all hearts and flowers. I wouldn't say that it's stupid or Tulane's going to win the national. It's championship. just enough for you to acknowledge to me, but, it's going to be better. Yeah. Well, that I'll be watching. I love the sport. As long as you can acknowledge that the regular season loses some juice, especially with the big time teams. I didn't say lose, just different. Loses it's going some to juice. gain. It'll lose juice in at certain random times. Yes. But it will gain much more juice. And, and I'm also not, allowing, I can go to the national championship game every year when you're a Utah fan or a, like the, 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 the Michigan State fan or an Iowa fan or whatever reasonable, what's what's reasonable for Kentucky this year, right? Kentucky going to make the national, going to make the playoff. They got, boy, it's a tough road for Kentucky, but boy, if they got in the playoff, holy cow. Those fan bases that are very loyal and very good, they're going to get a huge boost out of this. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you helped me. I think you did. Are you calm. I'm calm. No, no, I, nothing you said infuriated me and that wasn't an act. So I hope that the audience here is uh proud of, you know, I'm just trying to be an adult and be mature and grow up and accept other people's points of view. Um, I love a I sport am, where we have to have therapy sessions. Well, it's just, you know, that's the beauty you know, of this sport. It's so, and I say it with all, too the, much I is, love it. It's the stupidest thing ever, right? It's the greatest. There's 130 teams playing for one title. Like that. <laughs> it's military well, academies, religious schools, big city, small. Yeah. Era. It's, I mean, it's, it's going to be a wet. The whole point is the fun part is the wackadoodle. It's, I, it will be a net positive in a big way, but I will, I'm, I won't insult you. I am going to savor this last year of this. I'm going to savor the debates. I'm going to savor the, 
the death or the not death or the feelings of death on certain days. And I'm going to enjoy myself. And then when we go into next season, I will join that season with an open heart, hoping to love the product more than the one that I love now. And you help me understand some of the better um, thought processes of that. You did a great job and I would hire you for other personal sessions that have nothing to do with college football. <laughs> so I'm, 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 my, I, my, my, my <laughs> wife is really mad at me. I got to call you about this after we got to talk it through. Uh, Dan Wetzel from Yahoo. Thank you so much for joining thank us. I you, thought you Ari. did a tremendous job. And it's always great talking. Deep breaths. Deep breaths. We'll talk to thank you, you guys. Later.